And it took us about a six to seven hour drive. Good morning. Do you need my GPS? There, you can find right up there. Anybody else? In fact, if any of you want to switch seats right now is a good time. So we were using this GPS and heading toward the hotel, six to seven hours of driving. We were really tired, couldn't wait to find the hotel, take a hot shower, go get a really nice evening dinner meal, and then come back and snuggle into a really comfortable bed. We are close and, and, and very exhausted by that point, and we are getting close to the hotel, and suddenly the GPS began to direct us in some just some strange roads. And when we pulled up next to this empty field and the GPS said, you have arrived at your destination, <laughs> we knew something was wrong. I said, this, this can't be correct unless our destination is a pasture in the middle of Virginia. So I said, we, just, we need to keep driving. So we started to drive away from that location, and the GPS, in its really nice, polite voice, kept saying, turn around whenever possible. Turn around whenever possible. Turn around whenever possible. I began to argue with the GPS. I will not. I am not turning around. I'm not going back there. Turn around whenever possible. You turn around whenever possible. Pam looked at me, and she, she with this look that says, you're arguing with the GPS. I know, but it's not right, and we need to figure this thing out. So I'm having a discussion with the GPS. It's getting us nowhere. We're in the middle of nowhere. And the trouble is that, that I know that we're not where we're supposed to be, but I can't tell you how to get where we're supposed to be. We finally were able to find the phone number for the hotel. We call the hotel. They say, where are you? I said, as best as we can figure, we're right about, and we try to describe it. They said, well, we're not sure where you are, but we think you're close. Keep looking for us. Well, all I can see at that moment is a, is a farmhouse, trees, a barn, and a cow. So eventually what we ended up doing was we did the old Lewis and Clark thing. We forgot the GPS. We looked to see where the sun was setting and headed north. And we found the hotel. And when we pulled into the hotel parking lot, the GPS said, turn around whenever possible. <laughs> Would someone like a slightly yelled at GPS this morning? See, the, the evidence around us suggests that there are bunches of us who had some reliable guides that are no longer reliable. We relied on our retirement accounts. Wall Street began to flounder. And our retirement accounts retired. And so now we're not sure what we're going to do. We're floundering. We thought we had steady jobs but they have become steadily laying off people who never thought they would be laid off. And, and you're here today and you say, that's me. I never thought I'd be laid off and here I am. We have these banks that are supposed to help us and, and you've learned now not to bank on the bank because they're inventing fees that just that, that bite your hand. That's gross, isn't it? And, and I never understood all of that, that the whole, the whole fee system, and they're not helping, and then especially when you have an overdraft, and, and then they charge you for money you don't have, and then and they take more money out, and then you're, less, you're behind more, and it just keeps going, and, then, and, and you say, I, how am I going to get ahead? We think that we're secure because we're in this large nation, this, this nation of the United States, but we find ourselves being pushed around by small nations with big weapons. 
And so we look around and we say, where am I? This is not where I thought I was supposed to be. I feel like I'm in the middle of nowhere. And I I know it's not where I'm supposed to be, but I'm not sure how to get where I'm supposed to go. And we're lost. And we feel like we've lost so much. And so in these next weeks, I want us to walk through a series of studies dealing with how to recover what we think we've lost. Is it possible to regain some of that, some of that that we thought we have lost? How are we going to do that? And there's this wonderful story I'm going to take you through in these days to come, these weeks to come, to tell you how we can recover lost life. It had been 70 years since that, that, that forced migration, since that deportation of thousands and thousands of people from, from Judah and, and, and from Israel. And they'd taken them and they moved them to a place called Babylon and would become known as Mesopotamia, had moved them there. In their minds, they're still thinking through, in these, in these last 70 years, they cannot forget the pictures of the men shackled, walking down the road, surrounded by a foreign army, and the children and the women carrying sacks of meager belongings. And they were so rich before, but now they have nothing. And they're, and they're being shipped by wagons to this foreign place. In their minds, they see the thousands that have died by warfare and by starvation. And their GPS has brought them to this place, a place that is not familiar, a place they say that that we should not be, a place where we know that we are lost. Who will remember us? And there's this voice saying, you have reached your destination. And they keep saying, this cannot be our destination. And so you're in a spot right now. You feel like that you have lost so much and you're wondering, this is my destination. Do I have to live with the way that it is, the way that my ex has placed me in this divorce proceeding, the way that I'm finding my economic uh, situation caused by by the layoff? What what am I going to do? Is this my destination? I want to tell you that there's a voice that speaks that is stronger and sometimes softer, but it's still there. A voice of compassion. And I want you to hear that voice. And the the story we're going to, to look through these next weeks is found in a book called Ezra in the Old Testament. I invite you to turn there. It's in the Old Testament. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. It's right in through there. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can use the one in the rack in front of you. You can use the the notes. The scriptures are there. And I encourage you to read this book in the next couple of weeks to see the full story. And here's how it begins. Ezra, the first chapter, the first verse. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout his kingdom. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. I want you to just stop and and put down whatever you have in your hands and just look at me. No matter what your challenge is right now, no matter what your frustration is, no matter what your pain is, I want you to listen for compassion. There is a voice that is speaking to you right now. 
it is a voice of love. It has never quit calling to you. But it has been drowned out by your own fears and the voices and the noises around you. But if you listen, you'll hear this voice of compassion. And when you hear it, I want to encourage you to to take your life and live it in a compassioned intention. For this is what God has for you. These expatriates are stranded in Babylon. And some of them are there because of their own choices. They deserve to be there. They are there because of their idol worship. They turn their back on Jehovah God who was so loving and kind to them. This is the Jehovah God who gave them this land of of great protection and this land of, of an abundance of families and an abundance of crops and an abundance of cattle. But they turned their back on him. They worshiped other idols. They involved themselves in orgies in the name of religion. And they took their own young ones and took them to the fire of Moloch, that God, and placed their kids in the fire and sacrificed them. And God said, I can't take this anymore. And he removed his protection. They deserve to be there. There's another group who didn't deserve to be there, but because they're connected as families, they too were ushered into this impossible situation. And they are bitter and they're angry and they hurt inside because of what those people did. And you sit here today, and you're in a mess, and you say, but I caused it. I made some really poor choices. Or you sit here today, and you say, I have pain because that person made really poor choices. And I'm suffering as a result. To both of you today, that voice speaks to you in equal measure. Listen for his compassionate intention. But before they were ushered out of their own land, there was a prophet who spoke God's intention of compassion and promise. The prophet's name was Jeremiah. And here's what he said about those who would be ushered into that other land and how God still cared for them. Jeremiah 29, verse 10 says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you and you will see me and find me when you seek me with what? All your heart. Understand that whether you are the victim or the perpetrator, he has compassion and intention for you. So I encourage you to hear that compassion intention. Go there and park there and understand what he has for you. And to do that, first of all, we need to learn to accost God. You say, whoa, 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 accost God? Yeah. He says, and many of you have quoted this verse and you have it stapled someplace on a bulletin board or you remember it, you memorized it. I know the thoughts I have for you. Breaking that down simply, it's this. I know the I know the plans I have for you literally mean I know the thoughts I have for you. And in actuality, it means I know that the texture is the word. I know the texture I have for you. 
For your life, I know the texture that I have actually means the weaving of something. I know what I have woven in the texture of your life for you. I know what I have woven around that layoff. I know what I've woven around that sickness. I know what I've woven around that divorce. I know the texture of life that I have woven for you. And I want to declare to you the nature of what I've woven for you right now. I have woven a texture of prosperity. And that is more in our minds, much more than thinking that what you're going to get is a BMW and a 10,000 square foot home on a golf course. That is not at all what he has in mind here. What he means by that literally means the health, the wholeness of life. Everything that matters in life is intact in you and it's secure. So that you can sit back every day and go, wow, life's good. It is the word shalom. I know the shalom I have for you. Shalom is the texture of life I have for you. Not to harm you. The word is evil. The word means to have adversity, not to come against you and harm you. Some of you sit here today and you think God is a God who's ready to beat you over the head if you make a mistake. He said, that's not my nature at all. I have a texture for you that includes my great love and not to be one who has an adversity against you, but one who has come to give you that peace, the fullness of life. And to give you a destiny. The wording there means a journey that is in its totality what had been planned for you from the beginning to finish your journey and give you hope for that. He said, so this is how you get that. He said, I want you to call out to me. The word actually literally means a forceful accosting of a person. It, it, it doesn't mean this. Hang on, Jason, here I come. It doesn't mean, Jason, I need your help. It means, Jason, I'm desperate. Do you understand? Yes. Yes. You see, you can do that with God. God is giving us the, the, the sense that he has of how he wants us to come to him with such persuasion and such expression and such passion to the depths of our heart. God, I am so desperate for you. I need this said, I want you to come and accost me with prayer. That's what it said. It means to entreat me. It is to take your heart out and say, God, I am so desperate. Here I am. All of my heart, I give it to you. All of it. He said, I want you to come to me and do that. The word come actually means to be where his presence is and to walk with him. To just go looking for him till you sense you're near him and you're here this morning because of that. You're here because you think you're going to connect with him and you have and you're walking with him and you're crying out, oh God, please. He said, I want you to walk with me and when you seek me with your whole heart, I will, I will hear you, I will listen and you will find me. And here's the great thing. When you find him, you're no longer lost. Because he's the center of everything. So I have a confession to make. When I was an adolescent, probably in middle school and into high school, I have two other brothers, and we would go to the mall with my mom. It's not our favorite thing to walk around the mall with our mom, but we put up with it, and she put up with us. So we would start joking around, and my mom would be walking down the mall, paying attention to the stores and what she needed to do, and we would get right behind her in a line. 
And we would walk when she walked. People would stare and we'd smile. She had no idea. And she'd stop, we'd stop. She'd turn, we'd turn. And we'd just, and, and finally she'd catch on and it would irritate her. She'd turn around and she'd say, stop that. Now when she began to talk, we began to mimic what she was saying. So she would say, stop that. We'd go, she'd go, stop that. We'd go, stop that. You boys, you boys. And we would try to say it at the same time she said it, trying to figure out what she's going to say. And so we were saying every word. I don't, I don't like that. Stop, stop, stop that. What, what are you doing? What are you doing? You can say, stop that, stop, stop that, stop that. She says, you guys don't stop, you guys don't stop, stop that. It would drive her crazy. Not a good thing. Don't try that. But here's what God says. I want you to walk where I walk, so you just get right with me. You walk. When I stop, you stop. When I turn, you turn. And every word that I speak, I want you to say it with me. Because every word I speak brings life to you. So when I'm speaking to you and you're close to me and I begin to declare what I have intended for you, you begin to declare it because as you do, it it brings life into where you are. So in your tough moments and you take his word, the scripture called the the word of God, the Holy Scriptures, you begin to declare because you're what you're doing. You're saying what he has said and you enter that into your living existence and it begins to bring life where you are. And here's what he does. The scripture we read earlier said this that he began to stir the heart of Cyrus the king. The word stir actually means awaken. So I begin to awaken the heart or the spirit, the part that connects with God. I begin to awaken that spirit within him. I began to awaken the answer in Cyrus, and he didn't even know he carried the answer. So the time is going to come. When God says, I have an answer for you, and he will awaken that in a place you never thought it was going to be because that person didn't even know that they had the answer within them. Here is Cyrus the king. Oh, the founder of Persia. Who suddenly stands up and says, Jehovah God, whom he does not worship, says, he told me that I'm supposed to go build him a temple, the very temple that my guys before this tore down. Now I'm going to go rebuild it because... God told me to do that, so I'm going to do that. How impossible is that? He didn't even know he had the answer until God awakened it in him, but God awakened it, and he said, I'm going to do that. Because God had a promise to keep. I know the texture I have for you. I know what I've woven for you. Shalom. And a future. And I will call into the hearts of people around you that don't even know they have the answer and I will awaken that in them as you cry out to me and suddenly it will come out and you had no idea they had the answer for you. At the exact moment that God deems best for you and your destiny, God will awaken your answer. I want to try something this morning and I hope it works. During the service, I I came over here and talked with Don Estella. Don, can I get you to come over here and stand in this light with me? Don's husband, Ed, has been deployed. Has been deployed for how many months? Since April. Since April. So she's raising her family as her husband is deployed. Where's he stationed, can you say? Iraq. Iraq. 
So I asked her earlier, I, I said, how's it going? And she said, you're going to make me cry. I said, is it tough? Are there things that need to be done that, that Ed would normally do that aren't, that aren't being done? And you told me a couple of things that aren't being done, like what? Jason, can you hand me that microphone? Thank you. Um, one of the check check. One of the. Um, the She's going to take over. One of the things that make me nervous is the um, the front door handle is loose, and there's nowhere to stick a screwdriver in there. So I I do it myself, but I it's a weird lock. Okay, hang on a minute. I mean, Just okay. This woman needs somebody to come fix her lock and give her security. Who will do that? Thank you. What else do you need? Your, your yard needs some help? The yard could use help. Do you, you just need someone to keep mowing it, or you need someone to come and fix it up so it can be mowed, or what do you need? Well, what happened was we moved into the city, and I don't know the leaf uh, pickup dates, and um, we have like eight bags of leaves, and we just move it from the front yard to the backyard, and it, they don't ever take it. So there's a bunch. I don't know right. what to do with them. I, I need somebody who would say, "I'll come take care of whatever her yard needs." Who will do that? Right there. Is there anything else you need? The house okay inside? <laughs> I need help <laughs> opening the windows. <laughs> Your windows need help? They're like. Nailed shut okay. and on, on, the, on the bottom floor. So, so who could go help her with her windows? Way back there. Thank you. I can't do that. All right. That's great. Anything else? Because we're going here, baby. Is that good enough? All right. Now, here's the deal. You people that just raise your hand to volunteer and anybody else that wants to help, I'm going to have Dawn just stay right where she's seated this morning after service. You get down here and see her and say, I'm the one that volunteered for this and let's get it done. Now, here's the issue. Thanks, Dawn. You can sit down. Thank you. Some of you came here today and didn't even know that you carried the answer in you. And I stirred you up by saying to you, here's a need. And, and just as it happened to the king, suddenly you realize you have the ability and you have the desire and you say, I want to do that. And it stirred within you and away you went. That's what God will do to you as you call out to him. He will go to those who don't even know they have the ability or the desire and he'll awaken it in them and they'll say, oh, I can do that for you. That's his promise. So who gets what God has desired for them? Man, if I look through the scripture, I find a guy seated outside Jericho and Jesus is walking through with a whole entourage of people and everybody's excited about Jesus and this blind guy's over to the side and no one pays attention to him and he starts crying out, Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. And they say, be quiet. He says, Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. And they said, be quiet. He says, No, oh, son of David, have mercy on me. He's accosting God. And Jesus stops and says, who's calling me? And he calls him over and he heals him. Who gets what God has desired for them? It's, it's the guy that, that has leprosy. And when you have leprosy, the protocol is that you stay away from all people. And wherever you go, you yell unclean, but you stay away from social settings and people. And you have to stay outside the city. And he hears that Jesus is there. And so he starts running through the town. And he doesn't care who gets in his way, yelling unclean, unclean. And he breaks all protocol to get to Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want? He says, well, yeah, like I'd like to be healed. 
And Jesus said, okay, be made whole. Who gets what God has for them? It's the son who took his inheritance and left and wasted it all and embarrassed his family and should be stoned to death for his dishonoring nature and what he did to that family. And instead, he says, I got to go back home and be with my family and, and be with, with my dad, but, but I could die. And he runs back and his dad sees him and he has this, 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 this courage to run back and this risking nature that he runs back to him. And the father says, not only do I take you back, but I still make you my son. Welcome back home. You're part of the family. Here's the deal. There is an, a, a compassionate intention for you that this God whose love is greater than you could ever measure is saying to you, run to me, grab a hold of me and say, I so desperately need you. So if you've come here with guilt because you deserve what you're in, or you're sitting here in pain because of somebody else's choice, God wants you to leave all of that in the foreign country and come back home. He's ready for you. You see... If you live in a compassionate intention, the next step is he wants you to live out an intentioned compassion. How many have ever had an injury or a surgery that caused you to have to go through rehab? You know, it's interesting. I, I tore the interior ligament on my knee on water tubing once, and, and it, just, it just was flopping everywhere, and it was hurt, and it was, it was so painful, and I couldn't even walk without the knee collapsing in. And, and so I went in to the doc, and he said, I think it's not too severe. We can just let it heal by itself. So I went home, and I had to do my best to try to find a place where it did not hurt. You, you know how that is? You just, you just you position yourself, and when you lay in bed, you try to, you try to get it. So you, your goal is just not to hurt. And you finally find that spot, and you don't want to move. We do that with pain. We figure out how we don't want to move and what we don't want to do because we don't want that pain. See, that's exactly what happened to the children of Israel when they walked into this place called Babylon. They were so full of pain. They said, let us just live life the way we need to so that we don't hurt. So we know what not to do and where and, and how, to, how to be so that we don't have pain. And so they restricted themselves so there was no pain. And now they called this home. Home became for them a place where there was no pain to the best of their ability. And the next generation that was birthed in that land said, oh, this must be home. And so they, they restricted themselves because their parents restricted themselves. And the third generation lived that way, forgetting that God had planned for them this wonderful land that he had promised. Wonderful possessions he wanted to give to them. And an incredible worship to bring them into deep intimacy with him. And so God, out of his promise, came to this great king, the founder of the Persian Empire, the greatest accommodated king ever. And he said, you are now my instrument to free up my people. And here's what he said, Ezra 1, verse 3. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem and Judea to rebuild the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives in Jerusalem. And may your God be with you. Wherever this Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold, supplies for the journey, and livestock, as well as voluntary offering for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Did you catch that phrase? He said, anybody who wants to go home can. I'm saying to you today, any of you that want to go home can. You feel lost? You feel like you're not even sure where you are. God says to you today, you want to come home? You can. 
How do you do that? I think you need to recognize this, that the detestable will become instrumental to you. Turn to the person next to you and say, now listen to this. And if they're asleep, hit them. It is interesting to me that as you read the history of Israel, when, when they were taken captive and, and removed out of their own country, through the prophet Jeremiah, they were told, do not fight against this king taking you captive. Do not fight against him. You must go into captivity. If you fight, you'll die. God had intended their captivity because it had to make a difference in their life. And I want to tell you today that there are moments that you feel like you're captive, but God has designed your captivity. Your captivity is essential for your future freedom. There's something that happens. When I went to the doctor with this this ligament that was all messed up, he said, here's what we're going to do. I just want you to be still and let it heal. We'll put a brace on it so you don't move it, and so you have no pain, let it heal. If you feel the pain, it's not healing. And so there are those moments that God brings you into captivity, and he says, I just want you to be still, and I don't want you to do anything else. You're just going to have to put up with this captivity for a while. The amazing thing happened to these people, these Israelites. These people who had worshipped idols, who had offered their kids as sacrifices, who had had orgies in the temple. In this captivity they began to remember the Sabbath. They began to remember Jehovah God. They began to worship him and honor the Sabbath day. They began to follow the legal rules of purity. They began to fast. They began to pray. And those 70 years cured them of their idolatry. They did not resist it. They did not rebel against it. Instead, they embraced their growth there. They blended in, actually, and began to build businesses and do whatever God wanted them to do in that place, and they began to heal up. My question to you is this, that in your captivity, where you are right now, what is God trying to cure in you? What is it he's trying to do in his worship in your life to bring you into a deeper intimacy with him, to honor him? Do not resist what you may think is detestable if God is using it to change you. But then the time will come that you will walk into your freedom and I want you to know that your freedom will be sacrificial. When my leg quit hurting, I went to the doctor. He said, I think it's healed up. I said, thank you. He said, okay, let's go do rehab. I said, do what? He said, well, look at your leg. And I I looked at my leg and it was like this. I, I couldn't move it. I said, it doesn't hurt anymore. He said, it will. I said, what do you mean? He said, we're going to take you to rehab. Why? Because I want you to regain all your strength and I want you to find your full mobility. Because right now you've healed, but you haven't reached your capacity. So they took me into this room and began to move my leg, began to stretch my leg, put me up against a wall and I had to start flexing my leg against it. And I just cried out in pain. It was horrible. But you see, it wasn't the pain. It wasn't the pain of injury. It was now the pain of growth. And in your captivity, the time God God will come to you at a time and say, now you've healed up and now I need to bring you to the place where you regain your strength and where you get your full mobility back in what I've designed for you to be. 
In verse 4 of what we read today, King Cyrus declares that if there are any Jewish remnants around you, a Jewish remnant, and, and literally it means a, a resident alien. See, they'd been there for three generations, and they were still recognized as resident aliens because they knew that these people did not belong in this land. That although they wanted to be comfortable there, they wanted to live in that spot, they understood that this was not the spot for them. You have now become comfortable, and you've been able to cope with your pain, and you've, you've healed up, and God's saying, oh, no, 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 you're not done yet. Now it's time for me to move you back to where that pain began, because I want you now to grow out of that, and you don't belong where you are, where you have restricted yourself and said, I can't do anything else in my life, for my family, for God, because if I do, it's going to cause pain. God says, but that'll be pain of growth. So let's go back to where your pain was, and let's grow you up. And this scripture gives us then two insights as to how to do that. The first is this. Give where you lost. He said, those who are not ready to go back, you just, you really don't feel steady enough to do that. You take your possessions and you give that to those who are going back and you plant into what they're going to do as they prepare the way for you. And in doing so, you will follow a law of sowing and reaping. What you sow, you'll reap. It'll prepare a place for you. So that those who went back and took the possessions of others began to build the temple so that later Cyrus would take those who weren't ready and go and the temple would be prepared. And others would wait for Nehemiah and go back as the city is becoming larger and larger. But they invested in that person, in that place. See, here's what I want to tell you. You've got a pain. You've got an issue that you don't want to face then I want to tell you to take your resources and invest in someone who's trying to overcome the very thing that you're still battling and help them overcome it because when you do, you will plant into their life and into the life of what you need to do so that it is ready when you go. You help that person get through that issue. You help that person get through that pain and it prepares the way for you. I shared with you before the issue with my sister years ago who's a diabetic and she tried to have a child and had a miscarriage, and the doctor said, you'll never have a child again. Don't even try. In fact, you probably won't ever conceive. It broke her heart. It was her injury. It was her pain. She and her husband worked with youth in the city of Ventura, California. And she kept saying, God, I'm, I'm, I, I, I want to overcome this. I, I, I want to have my, uh, my children. I, I, I want to be a mom. And, and all she got was God saying, invest in others. Invest in others. Put it there. So she began working with her husband and helping adolescents and, and, and young people with their lives. And she said one day in prayer, she said, God, all right, I, I let it go. And I'm going to invest in these, these kids and they'll become my children. And I will help them and I'll invest there. Shortly thereafter, on a Sunday morning, before she went to church, a woman called and said, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but the baby that you bear will come full term and be healthy. And Jeannie said, well, thank you, but I'm not even pregnant. And it wounded her. She went to church and she was sitting just like you are this morning and the man behind her tapped her on her shoulder and said, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but the baby that you're bearing will come full term and be healthy. After service, she got a hold of her husband and said, something weird is happening here. <laughs> they went to the doctor and she's pregnant. She gave birth 
to that child and another child and both of those children. Now, some place in the United States also have children, but they are also helping young people in their community. What I'm telling you is this, that in your unselfish giving, you will prepare a way for God's answer. And I can't tell you exactly. I can't tell you that, that you'll, you'll get your answer like Jeannie did, but I will tell you, you will get an answer that will give you peace and will say, oh, this is great. That in your pain, you must invest in others because God's growing you up. He's stretching you. He's making you rebuild what you have lost. You're going to have to come back and face that thing. Give where you've lost and confront what you lost. See, it's time to, to go back there. It's time to go back to Jerusalem. It's time to go back. And these people would go back and they would see images in their minds of all their friends who were killed and all the devastation that took place and, and how it used to be and now it's not. And it's just a, a place of devastation, but yet they've got to go back and confront it. And God's saying to you, the time will come that I'll take you back and you have got to go back to that place because if you don't go back to that place, you will never get beyond that place. You've got to go back to your place of pain and let God show you how to rebuild from that point. You've got to go back to your place of pain and let God say, here's how you will grow from this place. God will bring you back there. I share this only not because, again, it's, it's someone part of my family, but because of the incredible story that I have a nephew named Jeremy. And he and Darcy went through the most incredible loss and pain. And God brought them back to that place again so that he could rebuild and they could recover lost life. Here's their story. The joy. The happiness. The laughter. After 18 months, it can once again be heard in the home of Darcy and Jeremy Reisner. Thanks to the birth of little Robbie. Walking in the door this time, it was so special that we could bring our baby home. For the Reisners and their two little girls, Maddie and Caitlin, it has been a difficult road. For us, you know, it's one of those defining moments of life and of faith. October 2007, Darcy was days away from delivering the Reisners' third child. I remember feeling him in the morning and there was just like, just a little movement. That movement the last time she would feel Franklin James. You know, amazing how quickly things turned for the worse for us. Doctors delivered Franklin and discovered a knot in his umbilical cord. Thinking I was in a bad dream, like this is not happening. The loss of Franklin affected everyone, including Maddie, who told her dad. It's not fair that everybody else gets to take a live baby home and we don't. And uh, <clears throat> trying to explain that to your six-year-old, I just said it's not fair, honey. The pain they all went through can be felt in this one picture of Darcy. At first, the family was lost. I looked at Darcy and said, you know, we've got to, we've got to do this right the first time because I don't want to be 80 and bitter. You know what I'm saying? You know, letting this moment have a negative effect for the rest of our lives and always looking back to that moment as the day that ruined our lives. So while it might seem strange to some, the Reisners decided to take pictures, introduce Franklin to the family, and spend three days with him in the hospital, documenting every moment. He's still my son even though he's not here. Yeah. It brought value to the whole experience. It's thought a knot occurs when a cord is longer than usual and takes place in the second trimester. 
It happens in just 1% of all pregnancies. It can be monitored through ultrasounds and non-stress tests. Heart rate patterns can also show a cord getting compressed, but there is not a 100% test. The Reisners could not predict their future either, so Jeremy, a youth pastor, and his wife put their faith in God's hands. God has really helped us, and there are many moments where I just felt God's peace. That peace helped them decide to try to have another baby. That was a real test of faith and yeah. trust. Okay, God, we're going we're gonna to try this. For Darcy. I was more on alert. The hardest part was the nine months of waiting. This makes you appreciate every kick, even if it hurts you. You appreciate those little kicks, you know, up in your ribs. Doctors scheduled a C-section two weeks before Darcy's due date. And last week, she gave birth. Just knowing how quick things can happen and turn for the worse, it was like, okay, I just want to hear that cry. And once we did, it was just, you know, just tears just streaming down my face. I'm like, oh, God, you know, he's alive. Robbie entered the world happy and healthy. But then something almost too hard to believe took place. I'm still kind of in shock that there was a nut in Robbie's cord. Um, I think it still hasn't really sunk in. That's right. Doctors found Robbie's umbilical cord in a knot as well. I just had to sit down. It was just a frightening feeling of how close we came, you know, described like dodging a bullet, you know, just a sense of uh, shock. Happening once is rare enough. Twice for one mother, it's like lightning hitting the exact same spot again. Because I'm just so thankful that he's here and that, you know, God protected him. And while she cannot help but smile at watching her little girls with their new brother, she can't help but think, what if? You know, we are never going to understand why we had to go through the first um, time, but I'm just so thankful that, you know, it, it was prevented this time and we're so blessed that, you know, that not didn't tighten. While the laughter is back in this home, the Reisners still feel the pain of losing Franklin. They want to use their story to let others know you can make it, even through the most difficult times, saying how you approach the pain helps you approach the rest of your life. The rest of the time we have on this earth, you know, I think we'll always have a shadow of the experience we went through, but we're hoping that that experience betters us as people and makes us appreciate life. A little more. Are you in pain this morning? There's a God whose voice is speaking to you, a God who said you can recover lost life. Are you lost? then I encourage you to listen. Listen for that voice, the voice of compassion. Understand that there's a compassionate intention for you, and then he's going to walk you through this intention of compassion where you give and you serve, and in trusting God, you confront your pain and you find healing because there's something bigger at work in your life. See, you may feel today that you are nowhere. But I want to tell you there's a voice speaking to you right now who's saying to you that I am now here. 
and you get to choose. They're the same thing, same letters. But whether it's nowhere or now here depends on how your faith looks at it. Would you stand? I'm going to dismiss you in just a moment, but some of you this morning are dealing with those issues and with that pain. I'm going to invite our staff and our council members, our elders and their spouses to come and just place themselves around this altar here. Would you do that right now? And as we conclude, the music is going to keep playing, and I'm going to invite you that if you need someone to just pray with you, someone to to reaffirm the fact that, that, that you're not lost, that although you feel that you are nowhere, he is now here. And they're going to help affirm that with you this morning, that you can move ahead. And I want to encourage you to be here next week as we begin to talk about what God has given you to recover lost life. So now may you discover today that his love is higher than the heavens. That as far as the east is from the west, so is the forgiveness he has for you. May you discover that he has already gone before you and even in your pain, he has prepared a path for you. For his compassion for you is so great. And as you stretch and as you move, And the pain you feel in growth, may you discover the answers to all that you have desired. And may you walk in shalom. May you find the fabric that he has woven for you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now let me encourage you as you leave to do it quietly. And those who would like prayer to come here. And those who are going to meet Dawn over here, don't forget to come see her. God's blessing on you. Have a great day.